1: Well, let me introduce you to the audience. Joel Garbin has been on the show before. In fact, if you check back a few podcasts ago, uh, Joel, Joel had done a tremendously impactful presentation for a group at a ufology convention. And I was so impressed, I felt compelled to have Joel on because it's an opportunity to share new ideas. And that's what this podcast is all about. So as promised, I, th- I thought it would be great to have Joel come back because we got into some really good stuff. Joel and I are going to talk about materialism and uh, where we are in the current age, because there's everybody I talk to says uh, something's weird, something's going on weird in the world and you just can't pretend that things are just hunky-dory. I had, an inter- I had an email from a guy today, Joel, who had said to me that they didn't think that the Arantia book could ever make an impact on people because it's just too late. People have already made up their minds about where they stand on religion, and religion is more like a folklore today than it is anything else. Do you agree with that?
0: No, Jim, I don't, Uh, you know, because that perspective could have been taken at the time that Jesus incarnated on this planet, Yeah, that everything already had been established and was intransigent. So, there wasn't going to be any more openness to a new way of viewing humanity, viewing the divine, viewing the destiny of individuals. So I don't think that it, we're in a static situation a- anymore now than we were 2,000 years ago. I think that the Urantia book has profound insights that it can offer people today It just needs to be uh, examined. And I think when people do examine it, they will find that, whoa, there are are a lot of of valuable tools and insights in this revelation that can be brought to bear today on very important topics, including the one that you and I are going to discuss today. Uh, You mentioned that we'll be talking about materialism, but I want to expand it beyond that. and and really talk about materialism, war, and the brotherhood of man. We have a very timely uh, uh, conflict right in our faces here with what's going on over in Ukraine. And I think it's the elephant in the room, and I think our topic today can help us to address some of that, even directly. And so, so that's some of the things that that we'll be discussing.
1: Are you concerned that this might be some. Uh, h- how deep do you go in terms of thinking this might be a profound age? Some people argue, oh, you know, Earth goes through all kinds of different things. We can't get bogged down, right? Other people say, no, this is a tribulation. A lot of people on the Christian side are worried to death. Uh, the only people that don't seem to be worried are people who. Who are settled in their uh, affairs, and they don't strike me as very religious people or people of faith. They they more tend towards, I don't know. Uh, they, they they don't they don't. There there's a line in the Urantia Book that uh, uh, says, uh, "Atheism protests against God. Secularism merely ignores him." A- and that's what's mm-hmm. happening is that there's a lot of ignoring. I have my theories about that, which we can expound on, but what do you think in terms of where are we as a spiritual planet right now? How do you think the most highs of Edentia look at us now? Are we are we gaining or losing uh, ascenders? Uh, is, is there concern, you think, that you know Urantia uh, isn't producing very much in the way of people who actually survive the transition?
0: Well... Well, it's a good question. I think that we are at a pivotal point here for several reasons. One of them is we we seem to be at this balance point between people who are seeking God and those who are seeking something else. And whether we just call that is as, as the, the pivot point between secularism and religion, uh, or we, we call it something else, the war of, of those who seek God versus those who, who really want to kick God out of everything, like we see uh, the trend in government, education, um, other institutions. And uh, it's concerning. But beyond that, we have a critical development in technology that's come about in the last several decades, that if it's used with no wisdom or lack of wisdom, that technology can be used to uh, to extinguish humanity and all the companion species here because of the devastation that can be wrought by advanced weaponry. We also have technology that is more subtle, perhaps, but every bit is potentially damaging in that we could have a transhumanism wave occur. Now, where now what is humans, that?
1: I've heard that. What is that?
0: Well, tra- transhumanism is the trend toward taking the biological human and interfacing them with digital technology. So where you'd be looking at uh, human beings who have been implanted with various types of technology. There might be chips of some sort, uh, some other type of implants uh, that, that's, that could link us up to a digital network that could be controlled in various ways. And it would be uh, propagandized as enhancing the human being by speeding up the processing speed of our, our brains perhaps uh, extending our senses in certain ways uh, by the use of of cyborg type prosthetics, uh, making us stronger, uh, doing other things that might uh, uh, influence our, our DNA that uh, perhaps might provide some life extension characteristics. Uh, and, And it seems to have a goal really of, well, I think of, of controlling all of humanity. Yeah. I was going to say, a, a digital yeah,
1: thing. we yeah. always you see in them advertising on TV. They have these things now that you, you put them on your, your body and it, and it sort of sends a signal to your iPhone and it keeps it, uh, tabs on your glucose, glucose, glucose level. And also your heartbeat, things like that. So they've already integrated some basic technology that can be used to gather data on your body. That I'm okay with. But if that's a stepping stone to some chip going into my head or being inserted to me at birth to create some sort of a neural response, that I don't like. And I don't even think that would be possible. Because if a thought adjuster can't influence our will, can another human being really do that through the aid of technology? Is that even feasible? Do we even know? Oh, I think
0: Yeah, I think it very much is possible, and I think it's already being done. I I think there's been so many advances in how to use technology to influence the thinking and behavior of human beings, that if we were to to have the curtains pulled back so we can see what's going on, I think we would absolutely be shocked and appalled and, and really frightened about what's been going on behind the scenes, you know, someone who talks about this quite a bit is Catherine Austin Fitz, uh, who, if if your uh, your listeners aren't familiar with Catherine, uh, she has she's a brilliant woman. She's a, an economist, had uh, also been uh, the Undersecretary for the de- Department of Housing and Urban Development, who exposed tremendous fraud uh, in, inside. Uh, that department of the U.S. government, and uh, she has quite a story to tell. You could you could consider her a whistleblower, but she's brilliant in the areas of finance and the global control paradigm. And uh, she she has a website called Solari, S-O-L-A-R-I, Solari.com. Tremendous research. Uh, And she is uh, brilliant. And you can find her all over the place, uh, interviews that she's done. And basically, she's been warning about what's been going on here with the technologies that can be used, uh, you know, for basically digital control of the population. Her emphasis is on how that is being uh, steered and orchestrated primarily through financial control. Uh, so the whole digital web has, has links like uh, tentacles, if you will, to your, your bank account, to vaccine passports, to, to digital, uh, digital technology that can be implanted in the human body itself, uh, satellite uh, operations. and and basically all of the surveillance technology that's that's been saturating the planet, including our country. You know, you can hardly drive anywhere on your block without there being some type of unseen surveillance, whether it's at a stoplight, cameras that are at stores, uh, at banks when you put your ATM card, we are continuously being surveilled. And all of that gets linked up somewhere and you you see how all of the data collection goes on through anytime you're on the internet, right? So when when you're on social media or just doing a, a web search through a search engine, there's data continuously being harvested from you, and it's all being fed into this this big network uh, that that collects this, and it can be used to predict behaviors, and can be used to influence behaviors. So that I'm not going to go into more on the whole transhumanism agenda and all that. It's a top topic for another time, but but it's part of what is going on on our planet that I think really has the attention of you know the the spiritual overseers for this planet uh, because we are, we are not in a state of maturity to be using this type of advanced technology with wisdom it's it's unfortunately the temptation is so great to use the technology for control and dominance that we're at this in this very dangerous period and i think part of what we are seeing right now with the the technology of war and the technology of propaganda that can be uh, uh, exacerbated by the use of social media, that is playing out right in front of us right now. And I'd like to to address some of these things on the topic of materialism, war, and the brotherhood of man, just by asking this question. And it's this, does materialism drive countries toward war. And I'd like to get your, your immediate feedback on that, Jim, be, before I give you some of my own thoughts on it.
1: Well, I think the commercial side, the follow-the-money side, uh, there's this, you know, the military-industrial complex in our system, in the, in the free market system, plays itself out because uh, war means profits for companies that provide materials. That means jobs. It also means voters are happy with their lives. So, for example, you know, pick a community. Oh, let's say Santa Barbara. And that's the home to one of the areas of Raytheon, which makes missiles. Mm -hmm. And it supplies a lot of people with good incomes. They go to work. They go home at night, just like you and me. They're just people. But they're involved in a process that, that could help win support for the congressperson in that district if they continue to support the people who work for Raytheon, because those people are going to vote for that guy so that he stays in office. So our system is Mm -hmm. sort of set up in this way where, because war is so profitable, I mean, we just sold billions of dollars of equipment to Ukraine. Uh, Hopefully it'll be the same amount that we left in Afghanistan. Wouldn't that be great? So our system right now is sort of set up for that. Uh, and and you know if you read about some of the social values of war, as they're outlined in the Urantia Book, you know up to this point there have been some good value to come out of war. It it it, it disciplines people. There are a lot of there are a lot early things that occurred because of war that actually helped us progress. But now, like you said, we've been so you know we've created these things that could kill us.
0: So yeah, kill us as a species.
1: Uh, yeah. And so now we're, you know, we're not there. We're not morally, ethically ready. Like Elon Musk talks about inserting chips. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg talking about metaverse and living within the mind. It's like these are kids playing with toys, and they have no idea what's behind the scenes. They have no idea what they're what they're attempting to try to do. And it's shameful. It's embarrassing. And I would imagine that Michael is sitting up up there, going, just shaking his head, going, "What are these people going to do? They're going to obliterate themselves if they if they're not careful." That's my yeah, assessment. I,
0: I think, yeah, I think it goes beyond embarrassing and shameful. To it's a it's a display of a tremendous lack of insight, maturity, and wisdom for what is the trajectory of technology applications that are just applied for a profit motive or to do something that's cool. All right? Cuz that's often kind of like the 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 real attractors. Oh wow, look at this, it's something new and cool, so let's do it. Well, that is a very short-term perspective. We have to have a long-range vision to see okay, what are the implications of using a new technology? We all of a sudden well, we're you know, I'm a I'm a billionaire who has lots of visibility on social media and looked at as kind of a a a genius or a tech a tech god, if you will. And I'm just gonna launch a bunch of satellites. Public's not gonna have any input on this, but I'm gonna have, have a, a string of thousands of satellites just going across orbiting the earth. Everyone's gonna be able to see it, and it's gonna have some type of electromagnetic influence. On, on the planet because of the signals that it's sending and receiving. And no one else can really do anything about it. This is a, a, a private entrepreneur who's who's doing this, but it's not looking at any of the long-term implications of this. But, but yet it's, there's many who hail this as, oh, wow, that's a great innovation. That's so cool. All right. And it's giving me this materialistic benefit of now I can receive the, a stronger internet signal, you know, at, at some location. Maybe it's at my, my second home in the mountains. Maybe it's it's you know it's it's wherever, okay. Yeah. And it's not it's not to diminish the value of having an internet signal, but is it is it looked at beyond that materialistic benefit? To to what are the further implications of the technology itself? And yeah, I so I think there's a lot of immaturity and short-range vision here that, that is is quite dangerous for us.
1: You work I'm, in I'm energy. To... So we once had a conversation. Yeah. Your background is in energy, and you, you said that if they wanted to today, I think this is what you said, Joel, is that if we wanted to today, we would end our dependency on not only fossil fuels, but also this re- renewable rainbow that we're chasing. Do we have ways? Do you still assert that? Can you go into it a little bit?
0: Well, I can tell you absolutely that technology exists and it's quite disruptive. And where is it being applied right now? Well, I, I would suggest it's it's being applied in certain covert programs, but it's not being used for a social benefit in the public domain. And, uh, I I cannot. There there are certain things that constrain me from speaking to that in any technical detail, Jim. But I can tell you from my own direct experience uh, as a scientist. Yes, I've encountered. Okay, defects. so I won't
1: press because I know what do not uh, you know non-disclosures are all about. Um, so let's let's look at let's look at something we can all sort of relate to. Uh, most recently, we discovered. I read to, that they have discovered that the mRNA technology that they used for the vaccines, they told us early on that mRNA does not turn into DNA. And now that that, that's been proven, that not only does it turn into DNA, but it also gets into all of your other organs. Because originally the vaccine was just supposed to stay in the arm. Well, now now they're finding that the thing travels all over the place. This was something that was concocted in a laboratory. And actually the scientists who worked on it were involved with it. Uh, four years before coronavirus uh, hit us. So they already knew, and they're doing all this technology stuff. Again, kind of plays to what you're saying. These people are playing God. And uh, they played God trying to create this this virus for either uh, military or covert operations, who knows. But it got out, we've all been infected, it changed life, and now that they come up with another gain-of-function thing to figure out a way to get a vaccine it sounds sounds to me like a a bunch of uh scientists running around uh just going nuts they're just they think they're gods and it makes me upset
0: well it's clearly it clearly goes beyond the scientific level that that whole vaccination campaign was very well orchestrated among many levels of political influence scientific influence media influence, and the whole propaganda of safe and effective was so continuously played. Each of us probably has heard that safe and effective, safe and effective, thousands of times in the last two years, at least thousands of times, maybe tens of thousands of times. And is that what the data shows, that this has been safe and effective? Well, absolutely not. It is, it is absolutely not safe and effective. But that's been the drumbeat, and it's been propaganda. It's been misdirecting. It's been deceitful, and it's been highly damaging. And now we have, we have you know, millions and millions of people around the world uh, and, and hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people here in our own country who are going to suffer the direct health consequences of that. They put their trust in institutions that did not merit that trust. And the the media failed us because they've been beholden to certain interests that uh, that basically made them part of this propaganda campaign instead of reporting honestly and asking the uh, asking the responsible questions about safe and effective. And and that has been shameful. That has been truly shameful, and it's been criminal. And and we're you know we're we're going to bear. The the brunt as not just a nation but as a planet for for that that betrayal of public trust. I agree. And unfortunately, <laughs> I'm I'm concerned that it is part of a larger orchestration toward this theme of global dominance and global control.
1: So, what do we? What do you and I? Uh, uh, what is a rancher reader? do with all this. I mean, we're not going to save the world. We're not going to change these people's hearts and minds. They have to want to change. The quality of well, thinking, there's a line in the Urantia book where it says, this is the age of business leaders and and lawyers. Next next will be the era of philosophy and some, something else. But anyway, the point was that we're not at that age of qual- where the quality of thinking is something that is that is treasured. You know what I mean? In other words, the quality of the leadership is directly tied to the quality of their their thinking. And the quality of thinking in the world today, in my opinion, is subpar. At least from the the way I look at it. You could sit in a room full of highly intelligent adults and talk about television shows because nobody wants to have a real discussion about something that has enduring values.
0: Yes, Uh, yes. And that's a reflection of the degree of immaturity that we are right now uh, in the selection of our leadership. Uh, one of the things that the Arantia book says when it's discussing the uh, it, the Arantia book actually addresses war, W-A-R, addresses war in many different papers, uh, and, I, and those include paper 52, paper 70, paper 134, 194, and 195. And, you know, one of the things that uh, it speaks of is that when, when there were more primitive societies where war was very common, uh, what emerged out of that was strong leadership. Individuals who were highly competent, highly capable, uh, they, were, they were courageous, they were wise, they were strong. And the, they truly could be trusted to put the interests of the, the clan, the tribe, the the nation, the city-state, the nation, whatever. They were they were trusted to put the interests of that society ahead of their own narrow self-interest. We no longer have that. The Urantia book says that we no longer have that. The way we elect our leaders now often has to do with other things. Besides integrity, strength, courage, vision, uh, it might be things just as as, as a, a base as well. They are popular because we have seen their faces in entertainment. It might be that they are wealthy, so they could buy the most advertising time. It might be because they they have uh, had some type of of. Uh, <laughs> Well, some type of popularity or at least media exposure due to things that were not praiseworthy, but yet it got them more attention. And because we have a relatively uh, immature populace, as far as wisdom goes, well, then there's this, uh, this tendency toward doing unwise, uh, you know, voting for people who don't merit vote for something as important as leadership, including national leadership. And it's, and we're seeing that, I think we are seeing that being played out right now in in these very times. Aaron, I'd like to, I'd like to give a, you know, a couple, couple examples here of, of how I uh, am viewing where, where we are in this, you know, materialism, war, and, and Brotherhood of Man theme, you know, ordinary citizens, I think it's fair to say ordinary citizens are generally unfavorable toward war, but there's a relatively few wealthy politicians and bureaucrats and corporate interests that really dominate the push toward war. And, you know, the the political leadership that we have now increasingly is comprised of extremely wealthy individuals, even billionaires. And that's not just here in the U.S., but that's in, uh, you know, in other countries as well. And we're, we're seeing that, you know, with with the Russian leadership as well. You know, Putin is a extremely wealthy man. They consider maybe he's one of the most wealthy men in the world. Mm-hmm. But the, these wealthy political leaders generally are out of touch with the economic circumstances of ordinary citizens, and they tend to be very adverse to geopolitical conditions that threaten their wealth, and so generally they might advocate for war against the best interests of the citizens, and against the will of those who even voted them into office. So it's very selfish not looking out for, for the everyday citizen. And then that, that wealthy political class, they tend to be relatively insulated from the economic consequences of war, and that might include things like inflation, which we are seeing right now. We are, we are seeing uh, gas prices right now as we speak going up rapidly because as a consequence of war. Mm-hmm. We're seeing supply chain interruptions there will be food shortages, most likely. There'll be increased crime, destruction of homes and businesses. Certainly in the war zones, but but elsewhere, uh, also. Well, we're already seeing and,
1: that in cities like Portland and L.A. and Seattle. Oh yeah, the overabundance. Yeah. I mean, the weight of consumption uh, is is crushing us. Um, yeah, yeah, and so, it's a complicated, the, so, very complicated society too. Uh, There's a passage in the Urantia book where it says that the typical human being has to make more choices now uh, in having to deal with society in one generation that they've had to do in 10. It's a very complex system. When I see a bunch of people, if I see a collection of homeless, what I see are people that couldn't navigate through this society. It was too complicated. There are too many barriers of entry there are too many pitfalls if you make if you, you, you write a bad check 10 years ago you can't rent a decent apartment you know things of that nature the, the rule it's such a fragile system that yes. that if you don't play precisely by the rules then you will be cast out and you will be you know the you you you, you can't make it you can't make it economically
0: so yes you, you force, that's a great point yeah so people can can easily just despair and give up because it's so hard to navigate that system. The Urantia book talks about that as well, that you know, we we tend to be in this very materialistic and secular society. We we are overburdened by all of these all these things, whether it's it's taxes, uh the weight of laws of various sort that are that are just, you know, everywhere they, they enshroud us like a net uh technology that's gone amok uh you know that uh, you know including uh weaponry that is is so devastating now uh if it's used and i think even the the fact that it exists uh you know there's going to be a temptation to use it if yeah. you have tools you're yeah. probably going to use the tools sometime and now we got when we have regimes uh, you know, throughout the planet, I, I last count what I think we're, we're probably approaching ten different nations now that have nuclear weapons, and uh, you know that and as that proliferation of nuclear armaments increases, that makes us much much more vulnerable to having a type of military conflict or a terrorism event that would just be be horrendous.
1: You know, in 1955, I heard the story about that when the Orangia book was first published, they sent out a copy to every congressman, I believe every senator too, and all but one came back. Uh, I wonder if there's a way. I mean, we have a blueprint. We have a man. We have a precise blueprint. Several blueprints on what we can do. You you cited some papers, social development, human evolution. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're giving, we're being given information that can help us get through this period. But nobody's reading it. Nobody's even aware of it. And this is where the, the, the influencers in society, if you're a Urantia book reader and you're in a position of authority or a position of influence, you've got to take You don't have to do it directly, but you can take the lesson, plagiarize the hell out of the book if you want to make it your own idea, whatever you got to do, get the information that's in the Arantia book that tells us how we can get out of this mess. Every, they even talk about, you know, you know, as human labor becomes less important because we've replaced with machines. Well, we got to figure out what to do with the human labor. We've got to, you know, they're giving These are. Celestial smart people—they're mm-hmm. telling it. Yeah,
0: yeah, and of course they weren't just you know talking about that that present day of of nineteen thirty four yeah. when we received the last papers. They were projecting into the future as well, and they were they were stating common sense, uh, insightful and wise, uh, uh, you know, projections. Yeah. Of what we have to look out for, and and part of that uh, in the the papers that talk about materialism is, you know, when when we start to become uh, well, they use the word indolent, which means basically lazy, lazy. Uh, non-enterprising, mediocre. Uh, yeah, when we become, uh, we have so much so much leisure and distraction by trivialities and i would say one of those is the the obsessive social media usage is right. a symptom of that materialism there are there are things that that become quite destructive for instance like in the social media we see how it provides a platform for war propaganda and so many other ills You know, you can have a politician right now who has been unduly influenced by the campaign contributions from weapons manufacturers and therefore are are war advocates. Okay, we could see politicians right now. you You could go onto the Internet right now and find on the social media accounts of so many of these politicians these statements of false bravery. About come on we're gonna we're gonna go get them we gotta we gotta do this we gotta create a no fly zone over Ukraine which would be disastrous you know because it would re- result in direct conflict of of U.S. or NATO uh, forces toward toward Putin's forces themselves which could could ignite World War III immediately but yet we we got this type of propaganda being put by elected politicians onto social media, and these are the same type of individuals who can sound brave on social media when they're behind their their laptop, and they would never, they would never make such statements if they were face-to-face with the one who they are advocating against. And I would use just just like a really simple thing, like all all the politicians who were who were deriding the truckers who were participating in in protests against the vaccine mandates, whether in Canada or here in the U.S., none of those politicians who are deriding them would dare to stand face to face in front of one of these rugged truckers. Yeah. You know they, they they would they would
1: <laughs> they call that they would, keyboard uh, courage.
0: There, there would be immediate consequences, and and so they have a false bravery on social media that that never would be the case uh, if this thing hadn't hadn't been uh, you know been there as a symptom of of the materialism. Yeah. So it, it's it's mm-hmm. uh, it's created a really pathetic state of affairs. Uh, you know, another thing to your Rancho book you know talks about is uh and there's a section on political sovereignty i I think it's actually uh in uh paper 134 and it talks about the maturity of political leaders and of statesmen um and and one of those you know what what is discussed there is being able to understand those uh, those who are in other countries and understand their position, not just having a, a, a selfish position uh, for your own interest, but also understanding what is going on in the psychology of others uh, who are living in, in in other nations. Yeah, and and I'll tell you this this is something that has really come come square in front of me in the last few days with this Ukrainian conflict. I I have a a brother-in-law who is a retired Navy intelligence officer. He's a military historian who has a a specialty in Russia and Europe. And I I had asked this uh, brother-in-law of mine uh, just a few days ago if he would be willing to essentially put on a class for my my family and for friends, mm-hmm. and he and he graciously agreed to do that. So so just a few days ago, we had a a uh, a ninety minute uh, Zoom call where he basically uh, outlined the geography, the history, the geopolitics, and the psychology of the Russians, and it was so enlightening, Jim, mm-hmm. because. When, when, when you look at uh, it, like in the case of Russia, they have endured so many invasions of foreign powers over the last 1,000 years. Uh, it's, very, it's very understandable why they might have a, a type of paranoia when it comes to national defense. You know, they've been invaded by Vikings, by Mongols by Swedes, by French, but that was Napoleon, yeah. by uh, by the Ottoman Empire that actually re- resulted in the destruction of Moscow, that was back in the 1500s, and they were invaded by Germany, by Hitler's forces. And it, when you look at what happened there in that conflict of World War II and Russia, the statistics are startling. And I, I had not heard this Before until my brother in law was was discussing it the other night, and he said, You know, during World War II, Russia lost 10 million of their military and 14 million of their civilians Mm. in World War II, a total of 24 million human lives, Russian human lives lost in World War II. Now, how did that compare? To, to you know the US and and Britain well the in the US we lost 400,000 and they were almost all military same thing for the UK they lost about 400,000 a few more higher slightly higher percentage of civilians than military than the US but combined the US and the UK lost 800,000 Russia lost 24 million and and as far as inflicting casualties on Hitler's military, Russia accounted for 75 percent of the German losses. Mm. So, so they, they a price. considered themselves that they were so instrumental in World War II being won for the Allies, and that they paid the greatest price in blood, that that the world has forgotten the role that they played.
1: So just knowing that actually helps me understand a little bit of what's happening right now.
0: Exactly. Oh. And that was the, that was the whole point of me asking my brother-in-law to please enlighten us. You have information. We see all this propaganda on the news, social media, all these sound bites, but they largely are taken out of context and, and without much of the real history behind this, much less the psychology that might be part of the leadership of Russia, Putin in particular. Why is he acting paranoid? Well, when you see the history, and when you you see that that this was a this was and continues to be a a powerful nation, a proud nation, and a heavily armed nation well they have been essentially humiliated since the fall of the soviet union and when when the the nato alliance continued to advance eastward toward the borders of russia that's that's been continue, that's been construed as a direct threat to russia's national security so other people who don't understand the history are just like, well, what's the big deal? You know, Natives, are, well, they're good guys. They're the white hats, right? The U.S. are the good guys in the white hats. Why are you acting paranoid? Well, someone like Putin just goes, well, what did those white hats do in Iraq? They destroyed a whole country. What'd they do in Syria? They destroyed a whole country. What'd they do in Libya? What'd they do in Afghanistan after, after you know Russia's own blunder in Afghanistan? Okay. So so they don't look at, at the US and the NATO forces as white hats. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> they look at things in yeah. the context of their own history of being invaded. <laughs> yeah. You know, so which provides a very different context.
1: And it plays to the point of the way we get beyond this point where we have these horrific wars staring us down is what you say, wisdom. A learning about the other people if, if, if we if we apply the quality of thinking that that could produce wise leaders who have far far-seeing vision uh and, and what's ultimately good for humanity so but we're not there yet we're nowhere near there and the next year next two years I've often said that you know the next this generation is going to determine the next 500 to a thousand years depending on who That's ends a good, up yeah yeah And so
0: you you just said a mouthful right there, Jim.
1: Yeah. So we're going to have to kind of leave it, I think, because we've been going about 45 minutes and uh, I want to talk more. uh, And there's so much more to talk about. So the good news is you're going to come back and we're going to continue. We're going to have other discussions. The bad news is we got to end it. (laughs) Uh, This is my fourth interview of the day and I'm, I'm tired, but, uh, (laughs) Is there any closing ideas, thoughts that you absolutely want to convey to the listeners?
0: Yes, my closing thought would be, as dire as things might appear on our planet, that we should place our faith in our Creator and in the divine intelligences who are serving us and and who are overseeing this planet— and we should remember that the primary te- teachings of Jesus are the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. And that it, it might take a while. It might take many generations. But we, we are destined to learn that lesson in full, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, which implies that we are all one family. We're one human family. We're one divine family as well. And there will be a day when we can see each other through the light of that family. And then war will not go on. We'll have the opportunity for really a true global peace, and then the opportunity to move forward as a family and and do, do amazing things on this planet. And, and perhaps reach out to other inhabited planets in, in ways that, that we can't even imagine right now.
1: We're not—we're closer than we think. So. Yes,
0: and present tensions are helping us to grow and mature. So no growth occurs yeah. without challenge. Yeah, And I agree. we have a lot of challenges to to encourage that growth.
1: Joel Garvin, my guest this time up on the Rancher Radio podcast. Thank you so much for, for coming on, Joel. Thank
0: you, Jim.